Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Hello, greetings and salutations on this Tuesday afternoon, September 25th. Welcome to Concord Matters here on Worldwide KFUO. I'm your host for this program. I'm Pastor Charles Henriksen. I'm the pastor of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bonterre, Missouri. If you want to find out about our congregation just south of St. Louis, go to stmatthewbt.org. Today uh, on Concord Matters, we're going to be talking about the topic, the invocation of saints. What's that all about? What do Lutherans think about saints? All right. If you'd like to participate, we have a toll-free number all across North America. That toll-free number is 800-730-2727. Again, 800-730-2727. Locally here in St. Louis, our number is area code 314-821-0850. Again, 314-821-0850. You can also email us your comments or questions. The email address is kfuo at kfuo.org. We have a couple of uh, frequent visitors to this program, uh, good friends here in the St. Louis area. Uh, sitting to my right is uh, Pastor Randy Asbury. He is the pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in St. Louis. Welcome, Randy. Thank you, Charlie. Good to be here. Good. And tell us a little about uh, about your church. What's going on at Hope? Uh, Hope Lutheran Church in South St. Louis. You can find out more about us at hopelutheranstl.org. Uh, the, the big news right now is uh, some renovation projects. We I got, saw this got, on got, your website. Yes, we got uh, rid of our organ a cup uh, earlier this year. Not permanently, just oh, for renovation. good, good. <laughs> I thought you and, were going all... No, no, no. We're not going that direction. <laughs> uh, but uh, we're in the process of uh, finally uh, approving and, and uh, uh, going forward with some sanctuary renovations to uh, get ready for the organ so it's a better sounding environment and also beautify okay. the sanctuary. So, it's a beautiful sanctuary. I've been there. Yeah, and we're going to make it even more beautiful. And what's really beautiful is, I think, uh, Jesus shows up there. Uh, yeah, he does, right, in, yeah. his, in his Word. When does he and show he, up on Sunday morning? He shows up at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings uh, to hear his Word and receive his gifts in the, the body and blood of Christ. And right. also, every now and again, we have a baptism and all the good stuff. And Bible so, yeah. classes. Yeah, and Bible class, hear the Word. And, and so, stuff yeah, he, he keeps showing up and his gifts keep... Uh, Going out to folks, and, and so that things is are the most well. beautiful thing that at, is. at any any that church. Is. Very That's good. Right. All right, and then uh, to Randy's right is Pastor Warren Worth, another familiar voice here on Worldwide KFO. Welcome, Warren. Thank you. Glad to be with you once again. And you are the pastor at Good Shepherd in Arnold. That's Tell right. us about what's going on there. Okay, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold is located at 2211 Tenbrook Road near the Fox School Campus for people who know the area. Just south of St. Louis, right across the Merrimack River on right. I, off of I-55. So the northern part of Jefferson County. Um, our web address is goodshepherdarnold.org, so we can find out more about our services then. Service on Sunday morning is at 9 a.m. Sunday school and Bible class are at 1030. We have Bible classes during the week as well. You know, 
Jesus is at your place at 9 That's o'clock, That's what I was too? thinking. And he's yeah, at Bonterre. Yeah. He's at St. Matthew Bonterre. And what time Sunday, is he there? Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Wow, he's all place, all those places at the same time. Hmm, pretty hmm. amazing. Yes, even in his very body and blood. Good. Amen. All right. So uh, today our topic is from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 21, The Invocation of Saints. Now, as we, as you know, we've been in the Apology for uh, a number of months, many months, a longer document. It's the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, meaning not that we're sorry we wrote the Augsburg Confession, but a, a, a spirited and thorough defense thereof. The Augsburg Confession of uh, 1530 is the primary Lutheran confessional document stating what our churches believe, teach, and confess. Uh, then the Roman Church came with a confutation shortly thereafter. And then so the apology is reacting to this Roman confutation defending our doctrine. And uh, one of the articles in the... Um, in the Augsburg Confession, and uh, uh, that the Lutheran reformers address is this matter of the invocation of saints, and um, and so this is that the Lutheran position is being defended here in the Apology. Let's just start by defining terms. Uh, the title here, the invocation of saints, and before we get into the the pros and cons of of this, whether we should or shouldn't invoke saints. Simply, what is the meaning of uh, the word invocation, Pastor Worth? Well, in this case, it's talking about praying to them. If you're going to invoke them, you're going to pray to them and ask for their help and aid. So, uh, The word invocation by itself simply means... To to call the name. To call upon. To to call upon, yes. So when we call upon the name of God at the beginning of our services, the invocation is in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we're calling upon the... Triune God's help uh, as we start the service. So, but this is about invoking the invocation of saints. Now, the word of, uh, Randy, you're a grammarian here. Is this an ob- objective genitive or a subjective genitive when we talk about the invocation of saints? I believe it would be the objective genitive. I agree the in- with you. Invoking the uh, saints, that they would be the object of the invoking. We're calling uh, upon calling the upon saints. Calling upon the saints to do certain things. We'll have to flesh that out. As uh, the show unfolds today, I find it interesting, though, you mentioned the Augsburg Confession, Article 21, gives the title Worship of Saints. Mm. So I think that uh, gives us a little uh, tip of the hand, if you will, to uh, what exactly the problem is that uh, we're trying to defend here in the Apology. You know, we're, yeah. not, we're not worshiping the saints as we are called to worship God himself, especially in his son, Jesus Christ. So that's a key thing right there uh, to tie in with the invoking, I think. Yeah, we'll talk about these terms to invoke the saints, to mention the saints, to uh, uh, worship the saints, to rely on them as mediators. And what sense do we do with these saints? Uh, Warren, I want to also ask about the term saints, but that's Warren, you where, wanted where, to add something. No, that's where I was going. <laughs> well, let me ask you then. We can use the word saints. It's his program, after all. Oh, okay, We're not okay, talking I'll about a, a football team from New Orleans, when the Saints, the New Orleans Saints, but uh, uh, the word saint, uh, we have the term sanctus in our liturgy. Um, what is, just in, and we can talk about broader, narrow sense of the term saints, Explain what the word saint literally means etymologically, and then how we use that term in a a broader sense and in a more narrow sense. Okay. 
in the Bible, the word saints, in the Greek, hagioi, mm-hmm. uh, would be for holy people, right? Mm-hmm. Holy people, people who are sanctified, made holy by the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. So the merit of Christ is given to us. His righteousness is credited to us when we are justified, forgiven, and the Holy Spirit who brings us to receive that through faith in Jesus also works in us a holy life. So we begin to do good works. But it's not the good works, per se, that make us holy. It's the righteousness of Christ that makes us holy, that makes us saints. And as those who have been justified and sanctified by the Holy Spirit, good works in our life are the fruit of that faith in Christ. So in the in the proper sense, a saint is somebody who believes in Jesus, is forgiven, and serves the Lord with good works. Now, sometimes we... Well, let, me, let me pause you right there. So this term, uh, like in Hebrew, kadosh, or in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Greek, hagios, the biblical concept, Pastor Asbury, and we probably had Dr. Hummel in some classes yes, together, mm-hmm. and how he would explain holy, or Dr. Nagel um, at the seminary, what is the biblical concept of you can have holy times, holy people, holy things? What is the concept of holy in its in its essence? Holy in its essence is being set apart, set, uh, apart. set apart by God and for God's purposes, for God's use. So holy vessels, holy things in the tabernacle or later the temple would be set apart for use only uh, in the temple or, or tabernacle worship for God's purposes. Or like the calendar term, uh, you know, remember the Sabbath day uh, by keeping it holy means yeah. set, set apart, apart holy, that sacred, day for, special for God's purpose. For God's purposes. So apply that to the people like we were just talking about, and it's God's people who are set apart uh, by him and for his purposes, for his glory, for his uh, uh, for his sake, you know, to be his special people, to bear witness to him, all kinds of things get wrapped into that. But basically set apart is a good definition for holy. Good. And Pastor Worth, I know from the New Testament in our English translations, St. Paul will use the term saints at the start of some of his letters. Please explain that. Well, surely, yeah. He writes to the saints in Corinth uh, and those who are saints. So they were, must have been really pious people there in Corinth. <laughs> well, read the, the epistle and you'll see that they had a lot of problems, a lot of sins that he had to address. Well, how can he call them saints? Because of God's grace in Christ that forgives them and sanctifies them. And so we're set apart by God already in our baptism, right? Where God comes to us with his grace, forgives our sins, gives us the Holy Spirit, sets us apart as his children, heirs of everlasting life. Now, in this world, because of our sinful flesh, you know, we still struggle with sin. But though we daily sin, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds in Christ. So we're daily and richly forgiven our sins in Christ. So we are in this world at the same time saints and sinners. Uh, sinners because of the devil, the world, and our flesh. Saints because those of us who have been brought to faith in Christ or baptized into Christ are sanctified, set apart for holiness, uh, saved from our sin for a new life in Christ, and as the gifts that Christ earned for us are applied to us through the means of grace. So this is what I would refer to as the broad sense of the term saints, sort of a, 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 an equivalent to Christians. Right. Um, so in the broad sense, all Christians can be called saints, as St. Saint Paul does. We call him St. Paul. Now, he would be a more, this would be a little bit in the more narrow sense. Um, 
please explain that, Pastor Asbury. We talk about saints in the broad sense as a way to refer to all Christians who have been set apart to belong to God alone. But how is the term saints in, in the confessional article here being used in a more narrow sense? Yeah, and by the way, the saints in the broad sense, I, I love to do this after church on Sundays. Hello, St. Charlie or St. Matilda or something. Yeah. What? I'm not a saint. <laughs> yes, uh, saint in the narrow sense, uh, especially used in the confessions here, is uh, somebody who uh, has been deemed to be uh, uh, holy because uh, they've died in the faith, perhaps, or were martyred in the faith and probably you know, lived a long time ago, like back in the 200s or 300s or sometime like that. That's kind of the narrow sense there. Somebody who's holy, who's died, gone to be with Jesus and awaits the resurrection. Uh, but then over time, another detail gets added in there. They, they have lived a, a very virtuous, very pious, very holy life. And that's what leads us to kind of apply that uh, Oh, you must be very pious sort of language when we say saint so-and-so. By the way, my church is named after Saint Saint Matthew. Right, right. And and so that's usually what what this narrow sense uh, implies is somebody special, somebody who's... uh, uh, shall I say, more holy than I am, somebody who, who led a good life, and, and I might want to emulate them, follow their example. And or they something may like really that. have done that. Right, exactly. And, and so that, that, that's what gets added to the term saint over time leading into the Reformation. And, of course, in the Roman Catholic Church, certainly in the present day, uh, they don't consider everybody a saint in that sense. Correct. And they have a process whereby somebody gets beatified. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole process by which somebody is nominated, as it were, to be a saint. And they usually require uh, an investigation into their history and their life. A miracle was done through them. Yeah, so so they, yeah, and, and that ties right into what we're going to talk about, is the miracle something that happened after they died, when somebody invoked Invoke. them, prayed to them, and asked for that miracle. And so that kind of ties right into this whole thing that our Lutheran forefathers were reacting against, saying, show me in the Bible mm-hmm. that that is the way now, saint is used. In and, the and narrow sense, so then we can talk about saints as maybe those who were martyred for the faith or who made some outstanding contribution in the history of the church. Right. We can mm-hmm. talk about the holy apostles and so forth. But, uh, Pastor Asbury, I thought Lutherans were against saints. Isn't this, are, are we totally against saints? Well, if you ask uh, Joe Average Lutheran, you might get that uh, response. But if you read the Lutheran Confessions, no, we're not against saints. In fact, this this whole Article 21 in the Apology uh, says, oh, we can, uh, we're for saints just in the right way, mm-hmm. right? Earlier in Article 21, it out actually outlines three ways that we approve of honoring the saints. Number one, we thank God for them, thanksgiving. Number two, uh, we can look at saints for strengthening of our faith, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, we can admit they had uh, great faith. You know, somebody like St. Paul or St. John, or you mentioned St. Matthew, I mean, and or many others. St. Peter who messed St. up. St. Peter who messed up and then was forgiven, you know, and, and that three strengthens times our enough. faith yeah, when that, we see examples, right. warts and all of these exactly. people. And so that'll strengthen our faith. And then the third thing is to uh, honor the imitation of both their faith and their virtues. So uh, I, I call it kind of looking through the family photo album. 
right? When you look through that family photo album and you see grandma there and you think, boy, what a wonderful dinner she would make on Thanksgiving or, or how she loved her children and grandchildren. And I want to follow that example. That, that's mm-hmm. the kind of thing we do yeah. with the saints. And like on All Saints Day. All Saints Day or in, in our hymnal Lutheran service book, we have all kinds of commemorations yes. and festivals listed where we can honor uh, St. Matthew, whom we honored last Friday. September 21st. Uh, or uh, different saints. St. Luke is coming up in October. Yeah. Uh, Jude and Simon, I believe. And not just from the, the apostles from the Bible, but right. some persons from church history. Right. And, and, like, and so, uh, so we Saint remember Athanasius them. Or someone. We thank God for them. We, we are strengthened in our faith by them. And uh, we honor them by imitating them, just as we would uh, imitate uh, a strong role model. Yeah. We hear a lot of talk of role models these days. And uh, saints are good role models and for the Christian faith And so we do concede that. In fact, we are in favor of that as exactly. Uh the, the positive. And look at the look at Hebrews chapter 11. That whole chapter is really like that, honoring yes. the saints mm-hmm. who by faith did all these uh, wonderful things. And so we're not against honoring the saints. And we give them this threefold honor, as you've explained. Uh, and in fact, if you have a Lutheran service book, at home. Hopefully you're not looking at that while you're driving in your car. But if you look in the front pages at the church here, uh, I'm looking at Roman numeral page 11, uh, feasts and festivals. So as you mentioned, uh, September 21st, St. Matthew, Apostle Evangelist, or let's take one not in the Bible. Um, Look at... uh, well, those are the Feast of Festivals. September 29th. That's an interesting That's St. Michael and All Angels. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but then also under commemorations, we are not of the same rank as uh, uh, the Holy Apostles or um, so forth. St. Lawrence. Lawrence would be an example. St. Lawrence, an example from church history. Right. Or St. Athanasius or uh, that we commemorate, that we remember with thanksgiving for for uh, how they held the faith and uh, and witness to Christ. So they are a great cloud of witnesses that help us to keep our eyes focused on Jesus right. as yeah. a writer to the Hebrews. And amazingly, us. dear old-time Lutheran, if you look in your hymnal, uh, August 15th, my goodness, who do we honor on August 15th? <laughs> I don't St. know. St. Mary. St. Oh, Mary, Mother we, we, of our Lord. We, we can do that? <laughs> really? You could even have She's a St. Mary church. <laughs> you know? Uh, I think Luther, one of the churches in Wittenberg was named after St. Mary, and they didn't uh, take that name down. And, and there's a church in Dresden named Frauenkirche, the Church of Our Lady. Yeah. Very similar. So mm-hmm. she is the most blessed of women. So we're not against Mary. It's what some people... We'll get to Mary in a little bit, but uh, you, Pastor Asbury, you've been reviewing a little bit where this article has gone already. You mentioned this threefold honor, thanking God for, for these people, strengthening our faith in God's forgiveness and grace, imitating their faith and virtues. But uh, in the paragraphs leading up to our new material today, there are three things that are lacking uh, when you're talking about the invocation of the saints. What don't we have uh, that doesn't support the invocation of saints. Anybody want to take a crack at that? Well, I'll give the first one. It's right here in front of me. Uh, there should First, there should be a word of God from which we certainly know that God wants to pity and listen to those calling upon him through this atonement maker. So, in other words, the, the argument is going like this. If you want to 
pray to or invoke these saints, let's say St. Mary in this case, and say, please have mercy on me, please have pity on me, something like this, you better have a good, clear word of God that says, pray to the saints in general or pray to this particular right. saint. And the, the apology is saying, uh-uh, we don't have that. So that's the first point that so I'm making So there are here. actually three, there are three types of a word of God that are lacking, Pastor Worth. There's not a command. Not There's a not command. A, not a promise. Promise. Right. Okay. And did you, see the, did you see the third thing that he mentions there? We have no command in Scripture to invoke the saints. We have no promise in Scripture that that's going to do anything. And no example. And no example. Where we see uh, people in the New Testament invoke calling upon the saints in the way that the Roman church would uh, suggest or actually require. Um, and then he also, just by way of review, says our adversaries, the Roman church, they not only make the saints mediators of intercession, but also of merits. Pastor Asbury, what does that mean, that they make the saints mediators of intercession, but even more than that, they make them mediators of merit or atonement or redemption. I, I think to understand that concept, you have to understand merits. And uh, in our terminology, we might want to think of a, a big celestial heavenly bank account, uh, hence the merits and, and the treasury of merits that they talked about in, in the days of the Reformation. But it, it was this idea that the uh, saints had done so many good extra, works. Extra, they so, had extra to spare. So many uh, miracles. They had lots of merits, uh, heavenly, uh, what, uh, bank account chips or something. Brownie Heaven, points. Brownie points or uh, uh, you know, good work coins uh, sitting around that they were stored up in a treasury. And uh, you poor sinner didn't have enough. So you could call on the saints and they'd say, oh, here, have some of mine. Right. So this merits is the key here. I think that the people were taught over time uh, to pray to the saints for their merits uh, for their good deeds to be applied to them or something like that. And what's like wrong that. with that, Pastor Worth? What's wrong with that is it robs Christ of his glory. You know, they're taking away from what Scripture gives to Christ, his work, his merit, and uh, you're looking to someone else for the things that only Christ, only Christ, can, provide. Only Christ can provide. And so, uh, as the confessions go on to say, it's as if Christ is some stern judge from whom you flee, and you look for protection and grace and help and protection for, to the saints as though they were uh, more loving toward you than Christ himself would be. Even though Hebrews tells us that our Christ is our brother who's sympathetic and knows our weaknesses, we think we got a better deal with uh, Mary or his mom or, you know, or some other softy than we do with Jesus. Yeah. Well, well, one of the things that developed through time, through the Middle Ages especially, is that Jesus was the stern judge, and you really had to uh, uh, get your life in order if you wanted his approval. So, And, and this develops. You see all kinds of Christian artwork yeah. in churches where he's sitting on his throne, he has a scowl on his face. Now, he will sort sit of thing, on a throne. He right? does sit on a throne. Yeah, but, but this was the piety that yeah. from which this emerges in, in large part. And so, you know, especially applying it to Mary now, well, if Jesus is that stern judge... I don't know if I can go to him. Who can I go to to have mercy and pity on me? I'll go to his mother. Right. Something like that. So, yeah. She'll be a little more soft. On. Uh, we'll be coming up on the break. How soon, Stephanie, on our break? Two minutes. Let me just, now we're going to finally get to some new material here. And I'll just read one paragraph, 25, and then we're going to go on from there after the break. Paragraph 25. Here and there, this form of absolution is used, quote, 
the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, the merits of the most blessed Virgin Mary and of all the saints be to you for the forgiveness of sins. End of quote. Here the absolution is pronounced on the theory that we are reconciled and regarded righteous not only by Christ's merits, but also by the merits of the other saints. Anything wrong with that absolution, Pastor Worth? Could you say that in church on Sunday? No, I could not say that. What Why? a horrible thing. Think, think it's, it's blasphemy, really. And Mary not? would not approve of it herself. Exactly. What, what a blasphemous thing to, to credit someone else's merits other than the merits of, of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. You know, who but the Son of God, the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, can provide that forgiveness that we all need. Mm-hmm. And to direct somebody's faith their confidence, their trust to anyone or anything else than Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and his blood shed on Calvary's cross, and his merits, which God the Father credits to our account. What a horrible, horrible thought that is. It's from the devil itself yeah. to, to, uh, to take away the merit of Christ and to lead people to trust in anyone or anything other than our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us and rose again. That's where our confidence is. And this is how you are forgiven of your sins in the absolution. You don't need anybody else in there. All right, right. we're going to take a little break, and we'll come back to this topic in just a few minutes. This is the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for... Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. Scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We often hear that fear simply means awe. Is that true? Tuesday on Issues Etc. We'll continue our series on Proverbs, talking with Pastor Jonathan Fisk about wisdom and fear. We'll also have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school lesson on Joseph forgiving his brothers. Issues Etc. Live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. This is Mike Albers asking you to save the date Tuesday, October 9th for a great day of golf and fellowship at Norwood Hills Country Club to benefit Christian Friends of New Americans. Registration begins at 10.30 followed by lunch and an 18-hole scramble shotgun start at noon. The evening event includes 5 p.m. hospitality hour, dinner and awards, hear inspiring stories from the New Americans that CFNA serves. Not a golfer? Join us at the hospitality hour and dinner at 5. Become a sponsor or register at cfna-stl.org slash golf or call 314-517-8513. This is a great way to spend the day. Play a round of golf on a premier course while supporting CFNA as they bring the love of Jesus to refugees and immigrants in the St. Louis area. That's Tuesday, October 9th. Registration cfna-stl. Cardinal Francisco Jimenez de Cisneros is perhaps a name you don't immediately recognize, but his contribution to the scholarly study of the Bible was a considerable one. 
A highly influential cardinal of the 15th century, he recognized a growing lack of interest in the Bible. His vision was to revive the study of what he called the sacred scriptures by providing scholars accurate texts of the Old Testament in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, as well as the New Testament in Greek and Latin, and to do so in several languages arranged in parallel columns to allow for study and comparison. The Complutensian Polyglot Bible was the first of its kind encompassing the entire Bible, greatly influencing many subsequent editions of the Bible and even becoming a textual source for the King James Bible. Engage with this book of books in its continuing influence. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. back on Worldwide KFUO. This is Concord Matters. We're looking at Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 21, on the merits and invocation of the saints. To what extent do we honor the saints and where do we draw the line? I'm your host, Pastor Charles Henriksen of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bonterre, Missouri. And here in the studio with me are Pastor Randy Asbury of Hope in St. Louis and Pastor Warren Worth of Good Shepherd in Arnold, and we are in Article 21. We've been talking about this term, the invocation of saints, saints being in the narrow sense here, uh, some outstanding Christians from church history, uh, and to do we call on them either to pray for us or to invoke their merits, uh, to get a better deal with God than we can get with Jesus? Uh, these were some of the problems that the Lutherans were correcting. So we just read a, a sample absolution in which they not only forgave sins by Jesus, but also because of Mary and the other saints. We said that's depriving Christ of the honor, and it really is no good absolution. So uh, Melanchthon here in the Apology is going to cite a couple of other examples here where the practice had gotten off track. And so now I'm going to read paragraphs 26 through 28. And this will be about the, uh, Mary. Um, 26. Some of us have seen a doctor of theology dying. He's citing some example that he had witnessed. Uh, a certain theologian, a monk, was enlisted to comfort him. He pressed on the dying man nothing but this prayer, quote, Mother of grace, protect us from the enemy, receive us in the hour of death, end quote. And then Melanchthon writes, granted, the Blessed Mary prays for the church. Well, well, even if you can see that. Um, but, he says, does she receive souls in death? Does she conquer death? Does she make alive? What does Christ do if the Blessed Mary does these things? Although she is most worthy of the most plentiful honors, yet she does not want to be made equal to Christ. Instead, she wants us to consider and follow her example. The very subject reveals that, in public opinion, the Blessed Virgin has taken over Christ's place. People have invoked her, have trusted in her mercy, and through her have wished to appease Christ. So there's something about Mary. Um, what's the problem, Pastor Asbury? The problem is Mary, in this uh, situation here, is being considered the... Uh Atoner, the uh, uh, person who gives grace, the person who gives salvation and help in time of death, as that uh, uh, monk and theologian story that uh, Melanchthon cites here says. Um, 
and, and I love that phrase you, you focused on that, granted the Blessed Mary prays for the church. Well, okay, let's consider that um, the, the heavenly uh, prayer chain or something like that. Okay, yeah, all the saints can pray for, for their fellow saints who are on earth, right? Um, that's fine. But we do not call on her and expect her to give us her aid because, again, as Pastor Worth said, that's taking glory away from Christ. Even it's also taking comfort away from sinners. Even in invoking her for intercession, right. we have no command, promise, right. or example exactly. in Scripture. But even worse than that is thinking she has some merits that we don't get from Jesus. Right. And, and as Melanchthon says, she, Mary, does not want to be made equal to Christ. Yeah. Right. And, and think of in the New Testament uh, when, as uh, uh, Jesus' first miracle, right, and uh, the couple has run out of wine, and, and Mary goes to Jesus and says, they're in trouble. They have no wine. And, and he says, what's that to do with you and me? And then Mary goes to the, the banquet manager, manager and says, do, do what he tells he you. Says. Do what he says. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's kind of the the, uh, the mark of Mary, say, uh, of Mary saying, Focus on him. Mary, do what he says. You know, it says, we say, Mary is most worthy of the most plentiful honors. Yes. We well, go along with that, don't we, Pastor Worth? Absolutely, we do. As you had said earlier, the scriptures themselves say she's the most blessed among women. And so... In Luke chapter 1. And so we are going to say what scripture says about her and give her honor because she was the chosen vessel of the Lord to be the one through whom our Savior comes into the world. Mary, and, Mary is full of grace, not as a dispenser of grace from herself, but as the, the vessel bearing the one who dispenses right. grace. And, and also the receiver, receiver of that grace. She has no grace in and of herself. She's a recipient She's of grace. She's chosen by God, by his grace, to bear his son. Which is a great honor. Indeed. No one else in the history of the world you know, has been honored in that way. And so we do give her honor, respect, uh, as, as Christ himself does. And a great example of faith. May it be unto me as you have said. You know, when, so when we, when we do, as Lutherans, celebrate August 15th and remember Mary, the mother of our Lord, we're giving thanks to God for what he did for her, what he did through her in sending Jesus to be our Savior mm -hmm. and her Savior too. And also we say, Lord, help us to be like that, to follow her example of faith, love, humility, obedience. I mean, wouldn't you and I like to grow in our faith to be more yeah. like that? This is why in the history of Christendom, uh, the name Mary in its various forms is the most common name throughout history for, for a, a girl. And it goes back to the Old Testament, Miriam. Miriam. Yeah, right. All right, let's go on here. Um, paragraph 29. We believe, uh, so, so they think they can get a better deal through Mary than going straight to Christ because he's, uh, uh, in popular opinion, more like a dreadful judge and avenger. Um, we'll come back if we have time at the end. Pastor Worth, you have some examples how this was not just an issue in 1530, 1531, but even in 2018 in the Roman Church. And I would submit also in the Eastern Orthodox churches, uh, they do too much beyond what Scripture allows with Mary. But we'll save that for a little bit later. Paragraph 29. We believe, however, we must not trust that the saints' merits are applied to us, that because of these, God is reconciled to us, regards us just, or saves us. For we receive forgiveness of sins only by Christ's merits when we believe in him. Of the other saints, it has been said, each will receive his wages according to his labor. 
1 Corinthians 3, verse 8. That is, they cannot mutually give their own merits one to the other as the monks sell the merits of their orders. So, um, whose are the only merits that matter in the big picture, Pastor Asbury? Uh, The merits of Jesus. That's Uh, all we need. That's all we need. Uh, What has he won for us, accomplished for us on the cross? We even use the word uh, uh, redeem and redemption uh, to refer to the work of Jesus. He he buys us back. He he has all the merits. He has all of the... uh, to use this this image that they, they had back then, the heavenly bank account, and he yeah. gives the wealth to us purely by his grace. Think of Second yeah. Corinthians, what is it, chapter 8. Uh, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet he became poor, poor for your sake, so that you might become rich in him. Right. It's that blessed exchange. Right. Christ's righteousness credited to our account. He takes our sins, we get his riches. Yeah, he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians, Corinthians 5. 5. All right, good. Um, all right, now here's a little story that uh, Melanchthon includes about this, uh, that even the church fathers uh, uh, didn't teach what the Roman church is teaching now. He says, uh, even Hillary, that's Hillary with one L, a man, Hillary of what's, how do you pronounce this? Potier, Potier in France, yeah. Even Hillary says of the foolish virgins, he's referencing here this, the parable of Jesus in Matthew 25, as the foolish virgins could not go forth with their lamps extinguished, they sought those who were prudent to lend them oil, to whom they replied that they could not give the oil because there might not be enough for all. In other words, uh, no one can be aided by the works and merits of another, because it is necessary for everyone to buy oil for his own lamp. Pastor Worth, what's the point of that little story? The point of the story <clears throat> is that each will be saved by faith in Christ alone, not by... Somebody I, I, else's I, faith. Not by somebody else's faith. So I can't say, well, I didn't believe, but my mother did. And my grandmother, she really believed, mm-hmm. you know, and she was really a saint. You know, she really did all these good works. You know, we, each of us look to Christ alone and by faith in Jesus, we receive from Jesus what we need. We can't get it from somebody else. And I think by by citing a story from St. Hilary, what is, there's something, why does Melanchthon do that sort of thing to defend the Lutheran position? Why would he quote from, uh, when did St. Hilary live? one of those old dead guys a long time ago. Why would Melanchthon (laughs) quote a story yeah. from somebody like that. Well, I, I think because, um, and, and this is woven throughout the whole yeah. Book of Concord, uh, especially the Augsburg Confession and the apology to it, uh, that we Lutherans are not teaching anything new. We're teaching what has been taught uh, since the time of the apostles, through the early church, and, and through all those centuries in between. Uh, we're just not agreeing with where it became corrupted and mm-hmm. went off the rails with yeah. all of these things like invocation of saints and relying on their merits. So what he's trying to do is saying, you know, this is what the church has always taught. Yeah. We're, we're remaining consistent with that. And he, he's saying, here's one of the one of the good guys from the 300s, from the 300s. Right, right. And, and so that that's his move here. Yeah. And so the actual new teaching was this invocation of saints. Yes. That's so, the Roman so, church had done in the in the 
later Middle Ages. So what the Lutherans were doing is saying, let's go back to the way it was from the time of Christ and the apostles onward Mm -hmm. by the faithful that followed in their train and not follow this newfangled idea. So we're saying we Lutherans are actually teaching the Catholic faith. Exactly so. Nothing new. So, you know, we do Catholic right because we're going back to the original New Testament right teaching. teaching. Or, or as I like to say, we are the real Catholics. There yeah. You go. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, when people ask me what's Lutheran, so I say it's like Catholic done right. <laughs> right? And fortunately, there are some good Roman Catholics who are not relying on the merits of the saints. They're relying on Christ. And so we'll see them in heaven too. But the official errors in the Roman Church, we must speak against because they're damaging to people's uh, faith. All right. Paragraph 31, which is kind of a sum up of everything so far. It's a longer paragraph. I'll just read this. Not much new here, but I'll read it anyhow. Paragraph 31. The adversaries teach us to place confidence in the invocation of saints, although they have neither God's word nor the example of Scripture. They apply the saints' merits on behalf of others in the same way they apply Christ's merits, and they transfer to the saints the honor belonging only to Christ. Therefore, we cannot accept their opinions about the worship of the saints, nor the practice of invocation. For we know that confidence is to be placed in Christ's intercession, because this alone has God's promise. We know that Christ's merits alone atone for us. Because of his merits, we are regarded righteous when we believe in him. As the text says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. 1 Peter 2, verse 6. See also Romans 9.33, Isaiah 28.16. Neither are we to trust that we are regarded righteous by the merits of the Blessed Virgin or of other saints. That's kind of where we've we've already said that, so I'm not going to ask about that. But I want to move on uh, to the next paragraph, 32. The following error persists also among the educated. Each saint has been given a particular duty. Anna gives riches, Sebastian wards off disease, Valentine heals epilepsy, George protects horsemen. These opinions have clearly sprung from pagan examples. Among the Romans, Juno was thought to give wealth, Febris to ward off fever, Castor and Pollux to protect horsemen, and so on. What is Melanchthon saying is an abuse that became... How did we get these identifications if you've got this problem pray to this saint and so forth what's he saying happened there randy well he is appealing back to uh, ancient roman times non-christian roman times pagan times pagan times and we can even bring in the ancient greeks as well both the ancient romans and ancient greeks had these uh, pantheons of gods right and each one did a different thing had you know gave a different benefit or blessing yeah uh mars the god of war and diana or artemis the goddess of uh, Uh, the hunt uh, yes exactly uh and so all kinds of uh different things were applied to these different gods well what what melanchthon is saying here is that in this uh, system of invoking the saints for these different things anna giving riches sebastian warding off diseases and so forth uh, that that's nothing else but that old paganism that kind has of crept a into the church. A superstition, right? I think uh, if you want to sell on, your on house, you don't. You have a, like a statue of Saint Joseph that you bury. Yeah, in the lawn something or like something that. Like and that, that reminds me of a fun joke here. I love to tell right. this one. So there's this young lad who, th- this uh, young lad who really wants a bicycle. 
right? He's a young Catholic boy, really wants a bicycle, and he keeps praying to Jesus, please give me a bicycle, please give me a bicycle. And so finally he gets the idea that he's going to write a letter to Jesus. But before he does that, he goes outside in the front yard and takes the statue of Mary that's standing out front of the yard, takes it back to the backyard, into the basement, wraps it up in in a cloth and, and ties it up and everything. And then he goes upstairs to write his letter and says, Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, talking about uh, uh, statues of Mary, I saw this on the Internet a week or so ago. Somebody asked in a forum, would it be okay in a Lutheran church to have a statue of Mary as long as we don't pray to it or something? I said, yes, but it would be a statue of limitations. (laughs) 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 Try the veal. I'm here all week. All right. Um. So that's how this paganism crept into uh, the medieval Roman Catholic Church. Right. Uh, Going on then, uh, paragraphs 33 and 34. If the invocation of saints were taught with the greatest caution, even such speculation is dangerous to say that Saint so-and-so is good to pray to or something like that for this problem. Why defend it when it has no command or testimony from God's word? Indeed, it does not even have the testimony of the ancient writers, the church fathers. First, as I have said before, when other mediators are sought in addition to Christ and confidence is put in others, the entire knowledge of Christ is hindered. The subject shows this. Um, In the beginning, mention of the saints uh, seems to have been permitted. Mention of the saints. It was viewed as tolerable as in the ancient prayers. Afterward, invocation followed, and abuses that are unnatural and more than pagan followed invocation. From invocation, the next step was to images. These also were worshipped. A force was supposed to exist in them, just as magicians imagine that a force exists in images of the heavenly bodies carved at a particular time. In a certain monastery, we have seen a statue of the Blessed Virgin. It moved automatically by a trick, uh, seeming to turn away from those who did not make a large offering or to nod to those making a request. So what is, he he gives a little progression of how this uh, evolved over the centuries. Uh, He says, at first, how were the saints involved in prayers? And then it moved to a second step and then to a third step. Uh, either one of you want to tackle that? Well, well the first step is simply mentioning them. Uh, and, and we can certainly do that in our prayers, both personally and uh, corporately on a Sunday morning. We, mm-hmm. we, and we often do this, like, say, last Friday when, when it was St. Matthew's Day. We can yeah. say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving us St. Matthew, like our, who, who wrote the first gospel yeah. and, and or taught our this. Or like during that. the Easter season, that with... Peter and Mary and yes. the other witnesses mm-hmm. of the resurrection and so, so forth. So we can mention we them, can mention thank them God for them. I think that's what they're talking yeah. about here. And that was viewed as tolerable in the ancient prayers. And then what was the next step, Pastor Worth? He says, afterward, invocation followed, abuses that are unnatural, and more than pagan followed invocation. So it became a, a progressive thing where you move from what would be 
scriptural to mention them and give thanks to God for uh, what he did for them and through them, and then move to invoking them, calling upon them. To be intercede for to us intercede without the a help. word from God. Right. Or... And, and call upon them rather than God himself. Yeah. Exactly. A second commandment issue. Yeah. Exactly. So in the Old Testament, God himself says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. And then and what now, went on from beyond invocation, simple invocation then, Randy? Well, the next step, it says, was to images, having these images. And then it gives the story about, uh, you know, statue that would uh, nod in approval at a request or turn away from somebody who didn't give money. So should we tear down, like Karlstad, any religious statuary or uh, iconography? Is that what we're supposed to do? No, that's not the point. I think the point was uh, misusing the statue or the image or maybe even, you know, a two-dimensional piece of art like we might have in some churches. Uh, the, the problem was they started to worship the image rather than uh, focusing on Christ and his works for us. And then all this other stuff starts coming in, you know, having images and then relying on them, their approval, their blessings, their merits, whatever. I like right? Greek icons and Byzantine icons. Sure. And we, um, we have a lot of good modern art, too. That yeah. We'll fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfect of our faith. Art can be a good teaching tool, a good uh, tool for uh, devotion. Woodcuts, yeah, woodcuts. Albert Durer, uh, Lucas Cranach. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, uh, and and these things, over time, they've been called uh, the windows to the soul. And I think that can be misunderstood, but it can also be understood correctly that, okay, yeah, that, uh, that, what we might call liturgical art, you know, mm-hmm. seeing the images of, of say, a Bible text, a Bible symbol, something mm-hmm. like that, can get into the soul and we start meditating. Oh, what does that mean? Oh, you know, Jesus did this for me. Jesus died for me. Jesus uh, turned the water into wine or whatever the story might be this being depicted in that artwork. Uh, but if it goes beyond that, that you start worshiping that image and saying, oh, that is my salvation that's yeah. my grace here's an image that many of us have on our altar a crucifix yeah I and mean, there's a 3d image of jesus on a cross how are we not and breaking the commandment about not making any graven images because we are not worshiping that object that uh or that we uh, get magical been, powers been, been from molded it. out of metal or carved out of wood or something like that and then painted uh, but we're not worshiping it, but that is a reminder to like us. Like a devotional aid. That's a devotional aid. It's a, a teaching or a catechetical tool. That's what Jesus did for us. He suffered and bled and died on a cross for us. And so our our, our thoughts, our, our uh, mind, and our heart go beyond the image and th- thinks of the real thing. Yeah. Uh, and that's Jesus himself. All right. Uh, I'm going to do a couple more here, and then Pastor Worth has uh, some examples of Invocation of the Saints in the Roman Church today. Um, I'm just going to read uh, 35 through 37 here. Distinguishing the legends, the hagiography about saints from the real stories that can be helpful. 35 through 37. The incredible stories about the saints, which are taught with great authority in public, go beyond the marvelous tales of the statues and pictures. While being tormented, Barbara asks for the reward that no one invoking her should die without the Eucharist. Standing on one foot, another recited the whole Psalter daily. Some wise man painted Christopher. He did so to illustrate that there could be great strength of mind in those who bear Christ, that is, those who teach or confess the gospel. 
it is necessary for them to undergo the greatest dangers. Then the foolish monks taught the people that they should invoke Christopher, as though such a polyphemus had once existed. The saints perform very great deeds, either useful to the state, or so he's mentioning some fantastic made-up stories, and then he's going to talk about some real stories that can actually be helpful. Uh, the saints performs some, performed very great deeds, either useful to the state or providing private examples. Remembering these acts would go far towards strengthening faith and following their example in the administration of affairs. However, no one has searched for these from true stories. Indeed, it is helpful to hear how holy men rule governments, what disasters and dangers they underwent, how holy men helped kings in great dangers, how they taught the gospel, what encounters they had with heretics. I think of St. Athanasius, for example. Um, examples of mercy help as well, uh, such as when we see Peter forgiven his denial, when we see Cyprian forgiven for having been a magician, when we see Augustine having experienced faith power, faith power, steadily affirming that God truly hears believers' prayers. It was beneficial that these examples, which contain reminders for either faith or fear or the rule of the state, be repeated. So those are some good, true examples. But, he says in paragraph 37, but certain persons, having knowledge neither of faith nor for governing states, have invented stories sounding like poems. They contain superstitious models for certain prayers, fastings, and additional works for bringing in gain. These are the miracles that have been invented about rosaries and similar ceremonies. There is no need to recite further examples here. For the legends, as they call, him, call them, the mirrors of examples and the rosaries, in which there are very many things not unlike the true stories of Lucian, are still in existence. All right, so in this section, I'm going to call on Pastor Asbury here, and then I'm going to call on Pastor uh, Worth to give just an example of modern uh, Catholicism on this. What's the point just in, in a sentence or two, Pastor Asbury, in this section? Only a sentence or two. Okay. <laughs> the point is what we talked about before and was mentioned earlier in Article 21, that the saints uh, ha have a good use for the imitation of the faith. Mm -hmm. and, and living a, a virtuous life. So that those are the examples they gave here of, uh, you know, Peter receiving his we forgiveness. We don't need to make up. We don't need to make up stories. We go back stories. to the true Use saints the in the ones. Bible and and uh, true historical saints in the church. Um, another place uh, in, in the Book of Concord, they talk about David being a good example for uh, the emperor in Melanchthon's day to uh, go to war against the Turk and defend the empire, right? So there's a good example as well. So the, the saints provide good examples for Christian faith and life. So the medieval abuse of the invocation of saints, Pastor uh, Worth, was not just back in the 1500s. Give me one example in the minute we have remaining of how this is still occurring in the Roman Church. It's still very much part of the Roman Catholic Church. We have the the whole rosary is still very much around. People are encouraged to pray it, which is a mixture of both good things and bad. So mm -hmm. you've got the, the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer are part of that, but also the Hail Mary, which is partly Scripture and partly anti-Scripture. So, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And I have another prayer here we don't have time for to St. To Saint Joseph, where again we're asking for him to provide the graces necessary in the hour of our death. And there's a Roman Catholic piety 
that says that you should, uh, on five consecutive Saturdays, in reparation to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, uh, we should uh, attend Mass and say the Rosary, and then he'll pro- she'll promise all the graces necessary for salvation in the hour of your death. So you're doing this in reparation to Mary, who is also called co-redemptrix and co-mediatrix. So you're but we don't, need, we don't need to pray to Mary or through Mary. Mary herself would direct us uh, to the only mediator we need or have, and that is her son, Jesus Christ our Lord, in whom we have forgiveness, life, and eternal salvation. And that's the good news that we uh, bring to you every day here on KFUO. You've been listening to Concord Matters.